Merry Christmas, everybody. Good to see you. Joy to the world, all that junk. Uh, go ahead and stand. We're going to be able to sing with joy in this house today. Hopefully you're ready to go with all that. I know I am.
Father, we are here today for you to give you all glory and honor that is due your name because you have given us hope. You've given us life. We want to give this to the world that is in darkness. God so loved the world. Mercy. 
It's the most wonderful sing it with my time of the year. Come on, sing it out, isn't it? Well, the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most Okay, good enough. Merry Christmas! Oh, come on, surely you do better now. Hey! For those of you who maybe it's your first time here, we're not that weird, I promise, okay? This is our Christmas in July service we have every year. We're excited to have you with us. Uh, our special gift to Doc this year is no Christmas carols will be sung at church. But if when he walks up, you just want to break out into silent night, he would love it. It's his favorite Christmas carol. And away in a manger. Oh, just, oh, he might you might see a tear. I don't know if it'll be because he's been moved or because your singing is not good. I'm not sure. But no. Hey, we're glad you're here. My name is John Sutton. I'm the executive minister here. We're just thrilled that you took time to come and join us today. Uh, today's going to be a great day of worship for us. We're going to be together for, I don't know, maybe another 45 or 50 minutes today here in our worship service. Doc's going to share. We're going to do some more singing. Uh, but we're just thrilled to death uh, that you're here. I want to say thank you to those of you who've helped us out with our Christmas in July every year. Uh, we participate with uh, a program here in our community called Turning Bare Feet into Learning Feet. And so we appreciate that. A lot of you have brought in shoes. If by chance you're like, oh, I forgot, uh, that's okay. Get them to us this week. Uh, they'll be giving those shoes out next Saturday over at Western Hills High School. And uh, we'll still take those in and get them over to them. I think last year they gave out somewhere between 350 to 400 pairs of shoes to kids here in our community who, who needed them. And so uh, we're, we're going to do our best to help fill that, uh, fill those tables up uh, for next Saturday. So, again, if by chance you forgot, just feel free to uh, drop them off sometime this week. We will get them over there. Well, speaking of Christmas, you know, I, I don't know. How, how many of you love giving gifts? Are you a gift giver? Okay. I have I found out at an early age that I am a ruiner of gift giving. Okay. And how that happened was, uh, I don't know, I think I was maybe fourth or fifth grade. You know, I had put in the order for a stereo system, you know, as a kid, how big, exciting was that? And I guess at some point during the night, I was awakened to noise, and so I thought, well, I'm going to get up and go see what's going on. And I walk in the living room, and lo and behold, what do I find? My parents putting together my stereo system. And so my mom was, ah, you know, kind of thing. And I ruined the, the big surprise that I was going to get on Christmas morning of my first stereo system and my first album that I wanted which was Charlie Daniels' Million Mile Reflections. Anybody remember that one? That was the one, the devil went down to Georgia? Yeah, and I had the uncut version kind of thing. So, But even since then, I have been known to ruin Christmas gift giving. For, for me, that is. Every year, I never really experienced this until I came to Kentucky. And it's a, hey, we need your list of what you want for Christmas. And so, I, what do you mean? I, you know, as a kid, we just, whatever we got, we got. But now, no, it's, we need your list. Mom needs to know. The girls want to know. Whitney wants to know. I need to know what you want for Christmas. And so I would provide a list. But then when I'm out shopping, I might see what I want. And guess what I do? Well, I just go ahead and buy it. <laughs> and so then I get fussed at. Well, that was on your list. Right? Well, so I've been known as, as ruining Christmas gift giving for, for many years. But, you know, if, apparently in worship planning, you know, they were thinking about gift giving. And I think they said they came over like three levels of gift giving that we have. And we have that, that first level is the gifts that we love to get for our immediate family. You know, I love shopping for my wife and my girls, and now I get to shop for a grandson. I could care less about the son-in-law, but I get to buy for my grandson now. And uh, if any of you have lines on North Carolina Tar Heel baby apparel, please let me know. He looks really good in that shade of blue. 
Uh, and so I love, I love being able to buy for, for them. I love surprising my wife with stuff. Uh, she was a huge uh, um, Scarlet fan. What was that? Gone with the Wind. Now the Hallmarks quit making those ornaments. So I've now really got to do some digging to find stuff. But then we have like that next level of, you know, extended family that we buy presents for. You know, maybe my in-laws, my, my, my cousins, stuff like that. Because I'm still wondering why, we're, why I'm spending money on my cousins who are 55 years old. But we still do that kind of thing. But then you have that third line of giving, which is I got to buy it because there's a chance they're going to give me something. Any of you ever feel that pain as well in your heart? Yeah, you know, there, you know, there, there's a chance that Doc might give me something, so I got to go find something to have just in case, you know, kind of gift. So, and so today, we're, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the gift that God gave us. Yeah? Aren't, aren't you glad that God doesn't view gift giving like that, like sometimes we do. Well, I got to do it because they're going to give me something. Yeah. He just chose to give us a gift, even though sometimes we don't deserve it. We didn't really deserve the gift that he gave us. And this morning, as we come to this time in our service where we think about that gift, we're going to come to these tables here in just a moment and remember the sacrifice that he made for us when he gave us his son, son that we didn't deserve, a gift that we didn't deserve because of the things that we sometimes do because of the things that we sometimes say because of the sometimes we turn our back on him. But yet he thought, you know what, I love them enough. I'm going to give them the very best gift that I could give them. And that's my son, Jesus. And also on these tables are our offering boxes. There's our generous bucket boxes. We'd love if you can, if you're a member here at Capital City, this is a chance for you to give back to, in, a, in an act of worship. If you're new with us today, please don't feel like you've got to. This, this is for those who call Capital City home. And that generous bucket, we're going to use that money to benefit somebody here in our community, maybe somebody here in our church family who's fallen on hard times, who needs a little help. That's what that is if you've got an extra dollar. Let's pray together this morning. Father, again, I just thank you for this day that you've blessed us with. Father, for this opportunity to, to pause and remember the gift that you gave us. Father, it's the greatest gift that we could ever hope to receive. It's greater than any gift that we could find under a tree. Father, any gift that we could find wrapped in birthday paper. Father, for that gift, we're indeed grateful. And God, we thank you so much for this gift of your son that you've given us. It's the, it's the bond that joins us together. Father, for these emblems this morning that we're about to partake in, Father, we thank you for that small cup of juice and that small piece of bread and what they remind us of, that you loved us in spite of who we are. You loved us in spite of what we've done. You loved us in spite of what we're going to do. You loved us enough to give us the greatest gift, the very best gift. And for that gift, we're indeed grateful. And Father, also for our, for our gifts of offering this morning, Father, I just pray that you'll bless those offerings that are brought forward. And Father, you use that gift to, to benefit those here in our church family, those in our community, those around this world that our ministries support and, and do things for. God, that you would just multiply those gifts. And Father, I pray that those gifts come from grateful hearts, desiring to give you the very best that we have. It's in your son's most precious name we pray. Amen. Feel free to make your way.
It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this. You didn't know the first thing about the way God works. You didn't have the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. You didn't have a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. But now, because of Christ, dying that death and shedding that blood, you who are once out of it altogether are now in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals, and that made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name as Christian as anyone. God is building a home, and he's using us all irrespective of how we got here and what he's building. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. That's my granddaughter. Isn't that cool? <laughs> it's a great text. It's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Let's pray together. Father, it's your gift that we're here at all. For that, we thank you. And I pray that you help us to just put all the distractions aside for a few moments and focus specifically on, on you and, and on what you want us to be. And now may the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts please you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Glad you guys are here. Connecting online, glad you're doing that. So how many of you guys have seen the series of Band of Brothers? Quite a few of you, I hope, suspect. Powerfully good series. My granddaughter, Morgan, had never seen it. She wanted to, so over these past few days, she and I have had dates in the evenings as we've been watching that series together. Really cool. It's a story of one of the most famous army units in World War II, Easy Company of the 101st Airborne. The series talks about their, their, all their World War II experience from their training down in Tocoa, Georgia, through Normandy, the landing on D-Day, all the way to the end of the war. story about how these young warriors, they went through hell together, and they eventually bonded together into this incredible band of brothers. Now, as the fighting went on, more and more of the Tocoa guys, the originals, they kept dying the fighting was brutal. So they kept getting these replacements. And the originals simply didn't make it easy for the replacements to fit in. I mean, how can a newbie replace a brother? Newbies aren't as smart. They're not as seasoned. They're more inclined to make the kind of mistakes that will get them killed, and sometimes it will get you killed. So all of the newbies had to earn their respect if they could, and the originals didn't make it easy. In fact, sometimes they made life just miserably hard on these replacements. And that makes sense, doesn't it? 
our reticence to accept newbies makes sense. It's understandable. It's natural, I would think. It's normal. In fact, you can track that kind of behavior, you know, originals making it tough on newbies. You can track that kind of behavior in a host of different contexts. We've got a little tiny play farm, just a few acres, a few cows and chickens. We bought a few calves a couple of weeks ago to replace some of the originals that we had sent. We left the replacements in our corral for a day or two to just kind of get acclimated, and the originals crowded around the corral, you know, checking them out. And here's what was so cool. When I opened the gate and let the replacements out, the originals, who were bigger, they just welcomed all the newbies, right? They showed them around. They showed them where the water was and let them drink first and showed them where the mineral was and let them lick first. And I'm just yanking your chain. They're cows, guys. What, what they did was normal. They started pushing the new guys around, butting heads, shoving them up the hill, shoving them down the hill, letting them know who's boss, right? Because they're cows, and that's natural. It's normal to make life on newbies, hard on newbies, if you can. Remember the, what it was like the first day of school, out of new school especially? First day of kindergarten, first day of junior high, first day of high school, especially if you moved to a new town, right? Brand new school. You didn't know anybody and nobody knew you. Remember what it felt like the first time you walked into class or the first time you walked into the cafeteria? Now, if you were especially big or especially pretty or especially athletic, it might not have been so bad. And it may have been that there was some kid there who could sense what you were feeling and they kind of drew alongside, were there for you. How cool is that? But it's normal, isn't it, for originals to be suspicious of replacements. It's natural for people to expect the newbies to earn their place. It's hard to be a newbie, usually. Hard to be lonely. Maybe for you it was the first day on the job. Everybody checking you out. Maybe for you it was that move to a new house in a new town. Now, I was born in California, believe it or not, really. We moved to Oregon. See, Oregon. We moved to Oregon when I was in high school. We learned that Oregonians are not very fond of Californians, okay, just the way it is. Now, fortunately, I was incredibly good-looking and incredibly athletic, so I was immediately accepted. Yeah, right. That's humor, by the way. Then Julie and I moved from Eugene, Oregon, to Jenkins, Kentucky. Jenkins, Kentucky. You've never heard of Jenkins, have you? Basically, you drive around the hills of East Kentucky until you get lost and then turn left, and you'll find it eventually, right? Talk about culture shock. Talk about outsiders. I was a pastor, so everybody was nice to us. But if you are from the West Coast, you're going to be an outsider. You're going to be a newbie in Jenkins for the rest of your life. And can you remember the first time you walked into a new church like this? Did you know that every church in America thinks of itself as a friendly church, right? We're delusional. It's normal, it's natural to feel a little squirrely when you walk into a new church. I mean, everybody else knows what they're, where they're going, everybody else knows what they're doing, and you're looking around trying to figure out where to go and what to do. 
Everyone else seems engaged. They're talking to each other, smiling and laughing. Did you know that one of the loneliest places in the world is in a room full of people where everyone else is engaged except you? Did you know that our foyer can be an incredibly lonely place for some? I went to my brother's church in Kansas one time. We got there early because they were having this social time, a connection time, coffee, donuts, everybody standing around having a great time together. My sister-in-law brother were preoccupied with something, so I just stood there and watched. Stood there alone and watched. Then I just decided I'll just go exploring, you know. I do that when I go to churches. I open up every single door that I can open. I look around, check everything. Got a few curious stares, but nothing more. No one said anything to me. That was weird. Later on that morning, we had a Sunday school class, and they were discussing why their church wasn't growing. And they turned to me because they discovered that I was a stranger and learned that I was a pastor. And they asked me what my impression was of their church. So I told them. (laughs) Big mistake. And they sat there stunned because they thought themselves such a friendly church. They were delusional, incredibly friendly to each other. Happens here too, Cap City. Although we work really, really hard to make it different. It's part of what I'm doing this morning. But I know of lonely people. I know of incredibly lonely people who have left our foyer weeping because their loneliness was multiplied by their sense that everyone else here at Capital City seemed to have a friend. Everyone else here seemed happy. I mean, I've even heard of instances where guests were made to feel uncomfortable in this room because they had the audacity to sit in one of our seats, right? I mean, they should have known. That's my seat. Doesn't happen often, thank God. This weekend, the webs moving here into Frankfurt. Ben and Christina, Callie, Benton, Baylor, new home, new town, new jobs. Christina's going to be working at the Christian Academy, new church. They're coming into town because we hired Ben to take my place eventually. Not yet. So I understand, it's perfectly understandable that most of you guys are going to want to make life tough on them, right? I mean, how could anyone ever dream of replacing someone as handsome and gifted and godly and humble as me? So we could make life really hard on them, right? Why would you not be suspicious of the one who is coming here with the express purpose of taking my job eventually? Because it's natural for originals to be suspicious of replacements. It's normal for newbies to feel uncomfortable, to feel like they have to earn our acceptance somehow. Well, that's why we work so hard here at Cap City to be weird, to be unnatural, to be abnormal. Why do you think we keep on asking you to wear these name badges every week? You don't need them at all if all you're going to communicate with is your click but it makes this place a whole lot more welcoming for our guests. So we ask you to put one on. Why do you think we keep on doing this crazy staycation stuff? Christmas in July, for pity's sakes. Donut Sunday, bacon Sunday, ice cream Sunday. Next week, we're going to have cupcake Sunday. 
You know why we keep doing that nonsense? I mean, isn't church about worshiping God? Well, have you stood and watched people standing in line together, chattering, debating which flavor is best? Have you noticed how people tend to dally after church when the service is over, hanging out, talking with each other, including our guests? Because, guys, people are lonely. They're lonely. We were not made to go it alone. We're about ready to start back up our Wednesday night growth groups in a couple of weeks. Have you ever wondered why we always serve a meal first, why we eat together first? Did you know that more family bonding takes place over a dinner table than in a dozen classes? Have you ever wondered why we built our pavilion and why we don't mind calling it the party shed? Well, we had a family block party there on Friday night, church family block party. I don't know how many were there, maybe a hundred, hundred and a quarter, something like that. We called it a block party because we wanted you to bring your neighbors and your friends to do life with us for an evening, just to enjoy each other, to tackle that epidemic of loneliness. And God made us to need each other. God made us to drag each other to heaven. So... God does not want his church to be normal, natural, suspicious, wary, guarded. And you can find other places that do it differently, right? I'm going to give you two, two places that do it differently. Place number one is a hospital, right? Hospitals are specifically designed to cater to newbies. And there are people who feel like they live there, doctors, nurses, techs, therapists, pharmacists. But they are there for the guests, People don't go to hospitals to give the doctors and nurses a job. The doctors and nurses go to the hospital to take care of their guests. It's a whole reason for its existence. And so they're like, what do you need? How can I help? We're here to help. Now, we're calling this series that we're in right now Bloodstained Pews. And the metaphor is drawn from a church in northern France, D-Day, kind of the turning point of the war, American paratroopers, in fact, from another unit of the 101st Airborne from those band of brothers. These paratroopers drop behind the enemy lines. Two young medics spot this 900-year-old church, stone church, and they set it up as their aid station, their field hospital. And one of the guys stays inside treating the wounded, the other guy goes out and brings them back in. And it doesn't matter what kind of a uniform the wounded were wearing. They treated Americans, they treated Germans, they treated French civilians because they said they weren't treating uniforms, they were treating men or treating men created in the image of God. How cool is that? And they just took these wounded guys, whatever uniform they were wearing, and laid these wounded and broken and bleeding guys out on the pews mess those pews up. After the battle, the people of that church did not clean the blood off the pews. They didn't cover them up. They didn't replace them. They left their pews blood-stained, still that way today, because they said that's what the church is supposed to be, a hospital for the wounded, a place for the broken to come and be healed no matter what the color of their uniform. 
I mean, guys, those medics didn't hole up in that church to keep themselves safe from the war that was going on out there. For those hours, the whole purpose of that church turned into an aid station was to welcome anybody who was hurting, broken, wounded, to cater to them. And if the broken had not come, the aid station would have been absolutely meaningless, worthless. Kind of like the church, right? It's a perfect metaphor for the church. The church exists to receive the broken, the wounded, no matter what uniform they wear out there. We're supposed to be different like that. Because, guys, it is not about us, right? Now, there's another place that's way different when it comes to newbies, a place where newbies are valued and loved. It's called a family, right? Now, I know there are times when newbies are resented, especially by their siblings. But in a healthy family, a great family, a baby is valued, a baby is loved, a baby gets a boatload of attention, And again, I know sometimes a brother or sister might not want them there. Have you ever seen a two or three or four-year-old get jealous of their new baby brother or sister? All of a sudden, this newbie's getting all the attention. In fact, I've always wondered whether my daughter, Alethea, was jealous of my son, Andy. Alethea was about three, and Andy was not quite one, I think. My daughter told her, her mom that she wanted to hold Andy on her lap. So Julie laid Andy on her lap, and Julie was off in another room doing something, and she noticed it was a little too quiet. So she went to check on the kids, and there was Alethea holding a pillow over Andy's face. (laughs) Now, she had an excuse. She said Andy was crying, and she didn't want Mommy to hear because Mommy might take Andy away. But I've always wondered (laughs) whether she was simply trying to eliminate the competition. Andy, you agree? Yeah. Anyway, except for three-year-olds, maybe, great families adore their newbies, sometimes because they're cute, although youth, most babies are not cute. You've got to admit it, right? But they're blood. That's a perfect metaphor for the church, guys. We are called the family of God. It's called that in the Scriptures. We are called to value and love and protect and mature our newbies, our newborns. Not because they're cute, because oftentimes they are not, but they're blood, and they're valuable to God. Unfortunately, sometimes people in the church kind of hold pillows over their face instead. This is a family, guys. This is a family designed by God to love and value and welcome our newbies. And anybody else out there who is wounded like us, anyone else out there who needs to be lavished with the grace of God like he has shown to us. So God has stitched together this really weird, motley crew of diverse people. When the lights come on later, look around. You're around some really weird people. We're different in so many ways. Why would we choose to do life together? Why would you choose these guys as your allies when you tackle the most important mission ever in the history of the world? Why would you choose to set the the bar so low for inclusion into our family? You don't have to be like us. You don't even have to like us. You just have to want to follow the one we're following. 
And that's it. You're in. One of us. You're part of a band of brothers. And we're committed to have each other's backs, right? Because that's what Jesus taught us. It's what Jesus showed us. Right from the first. Have you ever considered how weird that original band of disciples were? What a strange bunch. I mean, if I was Jesus, I would not have picked these guys. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Matthew, Thomas, all of these other guys, Judas. And when we look to hire someone here at Cap City, three of the things we look for are competence, character, and compatibility. Those are three of the things, right? Do they have the skill to do the job? That's competence. Are they good people? Are they God-honoring? That's character. Are they going to play well with others in our sandbox, right? Compatibility. Well, if Jesus had consulted me, and he didn't, I would have advised Jesus to test his applicants for competence, character, and compatibility. I probably would have thrown in one more, right? I would have thrown in big, all right, if I was Jesus. Because if I had known Jesus was going to keep on stirring the kind of trouble that he constantly stirred up, I'd want three or four of these guys around him, right? Post them on all sides of Jesus. But Jesus didn't consult me. And it seems like his checklist was considerably different than mine when you look at what a weird bunch these disciples were. I mean, Jesus opens up by selecting a couple of fishermen. I'm not talking about white-collar guys who like to fish. I'm talking about blue-collar fishermen, Peter and Andrew. In fact, the guy that Jesus selected to lead his church was a blue-collar fisherman. Go figure. These guys go on a little bit further, and Jesus adds James and John, two more fishermen. Now, I wonder if Jesus consulted with Peter and Andrew before he added James and John. But they probably would have been good with these guys. I mean, they're fishermen too, and compatibility would have been just fine. But what about character? James and John were not above reproach. James and John hated some of the people that Jesus was going to ask them to preach to. In fact, there's this weird scene in the New Testament where James and John want God to call down fire on heaven on some Samaritans who would diss them. The very people that Jesus was trying to love on, they wanted to kill. Are those the kind of terrorists that you want representing Jesus? And competence? These guys weren't the smartest, they weren't the richest, they weren't the most influential guys Jesus could have chosen. And then Jesus, a little later on, adds this tax collector. Tax collector. Now, do you think Jesus consulted Peter and Andrew and James and John before he invited a tax collector to become part of their band of brothers? Tax collector. Guys, you got to know, those were exactly the kind of guys that fishermen despised. He was a guy who worked for the Romans. He was a collaborator. He was a guy who made his living by taking as much of your money as he could get away with. How do you think Matthew and these fishermen are going to get along? How do you think Jesus was going to get these fishermen to work together with this tax collector, much less value and love each other? In fact, if you guys have watched the series, The Chosen, it's kind of interesting. They actually try to picture the struggle between Peter and Matthew as they undoubtedly struggle to get along with each other as members of this band. If 
you haven't watched this series, I really recommend it. Later on, Jesus chooses a guy named Simon, Simon the Zealot. So we've got at least these four fishermen by then, a tax collector, and now Jesus invites a zealot into his little band. Now, do you suppose that Jesus consulted Matthew before he invited Simon to be part of that band? Did you know that zealots were mortal enemies of guys like Matthew? See, a zealot isn't Simon's last name. His name is not Simon Zealot. It's Simon the Zealot. Being a zealot was his mission in life, his passion. The zealots weren't just Jews who hated Romans. I mean, almost all of the Jews hated Romans. There were Jews who were actually revolutionaries. He was trying to stir up a revolution. They were trying to start a war. They wanted to kill as many of the Romans as they could and kill as many of the collaborators as they could. Guys like Matthew, he wanted them dead. So how do you think that's going to work? Simon the Zealot, Matthew the tax collector, sitting at the same table, sharing a meal, sleeping in the same tent. You think they wanted to shut their eyes? What was Jesus thinking? Gathering such a weird group of people who had every reason to hate each other. And the guys Jesus was pulling together were even more weirdly different than you guys. Last guy on the list was this guy named Judas Iscariot. Iscariot, whatever that means. Judas was a thief. You think Jesus knew that when he invited him in? Of course he did. Do you think Jesus consulted the other disciples before he invited Judas in? I mean, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. He still invited him in, like he does us. Now, we're not certain what Iscariot means. Judas, the Iscariot. The Is part is just from a Hebrew word, man of. Judas, the man of Sychar, Iscariot, Ish-Sychar, Samaria. That make him a Samaritan. Some have suggested maybe Ish-Sikari. Sikari is a word for the dagger guys, the guys, the assassins, guys like the zealots. They, their whole existence in life was, was determined to just kill as many of the Romans as they could and the collaborators. Most people think it was Ishkarioth, which is a town down in Judea. It's probably what it means, Iscariot, a guy from Kirioth, which would make Judas the only southerner in the group. The rest of them were Galileans, northerners. And back then, that stuff mattered. What a weird bunch. What was Jesus doing? What is Jesus trying to teach you? What are you trying to teach me? Bottom line, guys, it was a weird group, a laughable group of guys. They look weird to me, probably look weird to you. They look even weirder to people who are on the outside. They looked at Jesus and his band and they're like, these are your disciples, Jesus? You can judge a, a man by the quality of the guys who are following him, can't you? And I know a couple of fishermen are probably pretty strong, not trained fighters. A zealot, he may have had some fighting skills, but a weird disciple or rabbi. None of them seem to have much money, not there for that. None of them seem to have much education. None of them seem to have any political power, influence. 
And if you were going to choose a guy, a set of guys, to work together on the most important mission ever in the history of the world, why would you pick us in this room? But Jesus did, right? Picked us. Think about it, guys. Have you ever noticed how in a biological family, in a biological family, you don't get to pick your brothers and sisters, right? I mean, parents are supposed to love their kids, but I don't know if you've met my brothers, and I don't know if you've met my sisters, and yet for some crazy reason, it's kind of hardwired us to love them anyway, right? Unless your family is broken. I love my brothers and sisters, and even though I've got some pretty weird brothers and sisters. Have you ever noticed how in a spiritual family you don't get to pick your brothers and sisters? Look around. I suppose dad loves them, right? But do I have to? I mean, how's that even possible? Have you met some of my Christian brothers? Holy cow. Have you met some of my Christian sisters? They're just weird. And I don't like them either. But God tells me to love them anyway. Because if I don't, he says, how will they ever find healing here? Which is our reason for being. I mean, just put it this way. I mean, did you know that Jesus prayed for you specifically? He prayed for you. He prayed for us as a church family. I'm serious. There's a prayer that Jesus prayed right before he went to the cross. This is God the Son talking to God the Father about us. And here's what he says. He says, I pray not only for them, not only for the disciples. I also pray for those who believe in me because of their message, which is us. He's praying for us. He says, I pray that this weird bunch of broken people at Capital City may be one. Go figure. I pray that they become this band of brothers, Father. May they be in us, just as you are in me and I'm in you. See, it's not about how much we like each other. It's about our passion for him. May they be one. Why? Why is this so important? (laughs) So that the world will believe that you sent me, which is our mission from God, right? And so we've got this unnatural community. We've got this band of Jesus followers here at Capital City, a band of weird brothers, welcoming those that others would not. Because Jesus didn't call us to be normal. Because broken people don't need normal. Do you have any idea how many broken people are out there? All of them. You know how many people out there need God's grace and God's truth? all of them. Do you have any idea how many of them that God wants to love through us? You know, all of them. And so he calls us to be this weird, weird bunch because the kind of openness that God wants us to show them is not natural. It is not normal, which is why this place can be so grand. Guys, people out there need Jesus. 
people out there are broken. And I, I know not all of them are going to choose to enter into this aid station, this hospital, this family. But every one of them needs to know that if they do cho- choose to join us here, they're welcome here. They're wanted here. They will encounter God's healing truth and they will encounter God's healing grace right here through us, right? We don't get to pick our siblings. We don't. But if anybody wants to explore doing life with God, for God, God's way, with us, they are welcome here at Capital City. We're going to welcome them here. And they don't have to clean themselves up first, do they? We want them here just as they are. We also know that God wants way better for them, like he wants way more for all of us. Now, guys, there's one more piece that I haven't talked about at all yet, and it's probably the most important piece. It's still coming in two weeks. See, we've been focusing on making this a safe place for sinners, but that is not enough. It's not close to enough. How are they going to find us? Are we just going to sit here and wait for them to find us, or are we going to go get them? That's coming. Okay? If you need to be part of this band of brothers, it's time to get it done. If you love Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, you want to be part of us, we want you here. Right? I'm going to be sitting right down here and Last part of the service, when the service is over, just come on in. Let's talk. We've also got an elder that's praying for you in that prayer room right back there. If you want to slip back, talk to that elder. We'd love to talk to you about making Jesus Christ the king of your life or making Capital City your family. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, you've given us this incredible mission. (laughs) Why you would pick us why you would expect to be successful through us is just stagger into our minds, but you have. And we want to do our best for you. We want people to find grace here, truth here, healing here. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Stand together. And 
Isn't that a great song to end our worship service on? And I hope that you'll do that this week. That you'll go out and share. Don't go scream in somebody's face. Go shout it at him. But let's just go and be God's light this week, wherever it is that he sends us at work, in our neighborhood, on a ball field. Let's go and share what he has done for us. Hey, a few things I want to make you aware of before we let you get out of here this morning. I'll go through these real quick. Next Saturday, we have our men's fellowship breakfast, uh, July 30th, 7.30 a.m. Hope you'll come out and be a part of that. Uh, ladies, kick them out of the bed, set their alarm clock for them, shove them out, tell them to get to church and hang out with some guys for a little bit, okay? Uh, we'll send them back home by about 9, 9.15. That way you've got time to get their to-do list for the day done, okay? So encourage your guys to come be a part of that. Guys, I hope you'll come share with us at 7.30 next Saturday morning. Hey, our staycation continues tonight, okay? We don't end with our Christmas in July this morning. We go tonight. I hope that you'll come out to Juniper Hills Pool. We've got the pool rented from 7.30 to 9.30. So uh, come on out. Uh, bring your kids. Bring your grandkids. Invite your neighbors to come with them. Uh, to come with you. We'll look forward to seeing you out there this evening. I hear Doc's going to be leading a belly flop competition off of the high dive, so we're excited about that. <laughs> and I uh, hope to see you back out there this evening for that. Also, don't forget, we're in the month of July, and we've been doing this 12,000 nudges this year, okay? And we've got our July nudges that's going on right now. We've had these serve towels that we've been pushing for you this week. And uh, there are more out there in the lobby. And I know we've had some people say, well, I, I just don't, I don't know what to do. What, what am I supposed to do? And so, uh, you know, we were, we were hoping that uh, we gave you some ideas a little bit earlier. But here's some that I've seen this week that have been done. I, I heard that we've got a, a, young, a young married lady who's about to give birth to her first child. And she's been making uh, like birth cloths that she's going to be giving out to people. Um, I know another lady made uh, like some banana bread and zucchini bread and some chocolate chip cookies and wrapped them up in it. And did a little bow on them and handed those out to neighbors and things like that. And so, uh, guys, maybe maybe you know a, a single lady in your neighborhood or that you work with. You could use it to change the oil in her car for or something like that. So just a few ideas there. You, you think of something, uh, share those with us. We'd love to hear it. Grab those towels, okay? We bought a 1,000 of them. We still have a handful of them out there. So you be sure to grab some this morning. Take with you and use that as we finish out this month. Make those nudges for us. Also, we've got Jesus Prom coming up. It's on August the 19th. You should have probably seen a card laying there on a chair by you this morning. Uh, if, you would, uh, if you're willing to help us out at that event, uh, we're still in need of uh, what we call escorts. Those are people that are going to be showing our guests around the building, making sure they get to the spots that they need to be. And uh, we still need a handful of those folks to help us with that. So if you could fill that card out this morning as we're about to leave, uh, you can drop those off to one of our First Impression team members or there at the Welcome Center or see one of our staff. Give that to them. We sure would appreciate it. And then next Sunday, I think I've skipped over something. Did I skip Cupcake Wars? Is that, that's coming. Okay. Uh, Cupcake Wars is next Sunday, okay? And so uh, if you're interested in being in the, in the Cupcake War competition, we need your cupcakes here on Friday, at least some of your cupcakes here on Friday. Uh, by noon so that our judges can uh, can do the taste testing of those. So we're going to be going uh, on taste. We're going to be going on uh, appearance. Uh, Steve said we're going on texture as well. Texture is a huge thing for, for some of our judges. Uh, so uh, if you would love to participate in that, it's just fun. Okay, we're just going to have a good time with it. Uh, but we need those here by Friday at noon if you're going to participate in the Cupcake War competition side of it. Or if you just want to make some cupcakes and bring next Sunday to share with your church family, we'd love to have that as well. Uh, Lisa Maddox, Jessica Brighter, they're heading that one up so you can reach out to them. Let them know what you can help us with and how many you can bring just so we make sure we've got plenty of cupcakes for next uh, Sunday's summer staycation. Well, again, it's been a great day of worship with you. I hope that today's the start to a great week for you. And uh, let's get out there and do something big for God this week, okay? You guys have a great one. We look forward to seeing you tonight at Juniper Hills.